It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. This week on Live in the Bream, somebody you know and love already, and I suspect after this podcast, you will love him even more because of what he is tackling. Pete Hegseth is an Army combat veteran. He does work on behalf of veterans. He has served our country. He is a dad. He's a husband. He's hosted all kinds of uh, Fox Nation documentaries, including one that we'll talk about today, and he is the co-host of the number one show, Fox and Friends Weekend. You do it all, Pete. You're a busy man. Not as much as you, but thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking about your brand new book, which comes out next week, June 14th, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. So tell me, I mean, you're the father of seven. How critical is this that parents understand about exactly what's going on in our schools today? And frankly, I do think they're more engaged than they have been. Yes. Uh, It seems a bit of a wake up call. It is, you know, the COVID, we call it the COVID-16-19 moment. What happened over the last couple of years as schools shut down and classrooms came into our homes over laptops. uh, At about the same time, the left got bold enough to expose what they've been advocating behind the scenes and working on for over 100 years. And it manifests as one example in the 1619 project, this idea that our founding date of 1776 is racist and our history is. And as a result, we should center it all around the sins of slavery, that alongside gender pronouns and genderism and all the other things that parents stepped back and said, whoa, what was going on in my schools? I had no idea this almost burst onto the scene. So it creates an opportunity to kind of reorient the conversation around how well we are educating our most precious resource, which is our kids and our grandkids, and whether or not we're, we're educating kids capable of preserving our republic. I mean, the, I, the, the definition of liberal arts, which is what our education system was founded on, was a liberated mind. You only keep a free system through free thinkers. And so this moment, actually, that moment, the book project and film project started before that all started. And then parents you know, you see them at school boards, you see them rising up. They're looking around for alternatives saying, wow, it's my school too. And we hope this book uh, equips them with two things. First, the solutions, which is the biggest part of the book. It's five full chapters about what we think we need to do to to right the ship. But also the first step to any recovery uh, is understanding the depth of your problem. And I think and it, it, it gets people away from the illusions that a lot of us have that, well, my school's okay, or I think I'm good here in my zip code or don't work. It's as deep and as bad as you might might fear. Uh, and what we see on our TV screens, which you cover and I cover all the time, is just the latest example of a 100-year project the left has undertaken. So again, the book is Battle for the American Mind. It is out on June 14th. So let me ask you this. My mom was a teacher and Mm -hmm. I feel like they are the hardest working in many ways, most underappreciated people. Um, But she taught at a private Christian school. So I was, uh, there were strong academic demands on us and expectations of us. Um, But I was also, you know, pledge allegiance to the flag. I was learning Bible verses. I mean, it was a different environment. She made no money, but she really felt like this was her life's Mm -hmm. calling. So even in her public schools. I think we agree. There are a lot of amazing teachers. Yes. 
So talk about the distinction between the teachers and maybe the union leadership and people who are calling the shots at the school district and setting curriculum. How does that all work? And, you know, are teachers really even left any space once that's been handed down and assigned? Great point. Very little space. Um, this is not about imputing teachers and their desire to do best by their kids. My dad was a public school teacher. I went to public school. I understand the importance of that system and the connection so many people have to it. But teachers today are teaching inside the confines of an educational industrial complex that is not controlled at their local school board or by their principal or, or even oftentimes at their county or state level. Uh, it's become a federalized education system, even though we like to think of it as local and we pay property taxes from the curriculum to the testing, to the teachers colleges, to the pedagogy, which is not what teachers teach, but how they teach um, there. If you are a Christian or a conservative and want to be outspoken about that, it's not tolerated inside our public schools today. So you have to play within the rules and very few people of that ilk make their way through the filtration system that ultimately leads to the classroom. You have to get certifications, you have to get degrees, all of those education departments and teachers colleges as far back as the 1940s and even further back as far as that have been captured by not just well-meaning liberals, but Marxists with philosophies like critical theory, which we now know as critical race theory or critical gender theory, which took control of the pipeline of how teachers were trained. So you still have wonderful teachers in public schools and private schools and Christian schools doing their very best, but they're, they're up against a headwind of, of a pipeline that has very different priorities and prerogatives and that are very difficult to counteract um, in small ways in the classroom, which is, which is dispiriting to think about. We all know teachers that are great, that mm -hmm. do a wonderful job. They're still playing inside the progressive playbook, uh, which is why some of the solutions we advocate for, I wouldn't call them radical, but they're dramatic mm -hmm. uh, if, we, if we want to reverse course. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So let's talk about CRT because um, I know that you take heat, Fox takes heat, we all take heat all the time for those who would say, this is being overblown. The right is trying to scare you. Um, there aren't things called CRT. Teachers deny it, school districts deny it and say, um, we're talking past each other because you guys are accusing the schools of doing something they're not doing. The schools say they're not doing anything that even has any vein of this in it. Um, is the middle, is the truth in the middle there somewhere? Um, is the threat overblown? Is it being overplayed? Uh, the threat's not overblown. It's not being overplayed. It often comes in a different name. Uh, they won't call it critical race theory. It comes out of the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oftentimes they'll say, look at our curriculum. It's not in the curriculum and it might not be, but where it is, is in the, what's called the pedagogy, which paideia is a word we talk about. It's an, a lost Greek word that used to be well-known a hundred years ago. Certainly our founders understood. And paideia is a culture's vision of the good life, of, of the things we imprint on the soul and the heart of our youngest at the age of eight, nine, 10, 11, what, what they value, how, how, we, how we develop them. And the pedagogy is 
root from that word is not what teachers teach, but it's how they teach. And so it might be you're teaching U.S. history, but you're trained to teach it through the lens of emphasizing diversity, equity, and inclusion or oppression, oppressor and the oppressed. So it's very easy to say, no, we're not teaching critical race theory, but the lens through which all those topics are discussed is a wash in it with a different phrase or take a word like equity, um, which sounds a lot like equality. And it was only the last three or four years that that name publicly started to shift and morph. They would say, that's not critical race theory. That's just a word. Well, no, it's the code word for something we used to understand, which is equality and equality of opportunity. Now dressed up as we need to demand equity and racial justice and social justice in the classroom. So I, yeah, we have these debates on cable TV, but what we have, and it's, and it's true, you can, it can become a bit hyperbolic, but what we have in battle for the American mind is the receipts is the way in which the, the, the philosophers inserted it into the way they critiqued all of Western civilization. And then they took over teachers' colleges and trained educators to think that way. And they did it quietly until they felt like the time was right to speak openly about it. And that's why a lot of parents are revolting. But there were similar parent revolts 40 years ago and 80 years ago over different things that happened that we've long since forgotten about. And it's all of those incremental um, forms of progress, the left would call it, that lead us to where we are today. So how do you respond to those who say, you don't want kids to learn about slavery? You don't want them to learn about the flaws of our founders or the mistakes that this country made. You just want to cover over all of that and not have a discussion. No, it's the exact opposite of that, actually. Most schools teach very little history. And what we, what, what we advocate for in this book is specifically a form of education called classical Christian education. There are over almost 500 of those schools across America today, huge online homeschooling universe of curriculum. And, and what classical schools emphasize is history, not just recent history or American history, but ancient history wrought with sinful nature uh, and, you know, pillages and conquests and slavery and all the sins that that mankind brings on the world because we're fallen and sinful by nature. So it's actually quite to the contrary, as opposed to covering up uh, the sin of slavery, it's dissected. Where did it come from? Why would one man think they're superior to another? Why would race be the determinant that we would determine who's good and who's not? And certainly in the context of the American story. So I if anything, I would argue current American schools are the ones whitewashing or telling one side of the story about it or, over, or emphasizing only one portion of the story, as opposed to saying there's a giant human story here all the way back to, you know, the, 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 the Old Testament and the Greeks and the Romans and the, the, uh, the Middle Ages and all of these ways in which we failed and failed and failed again until a miraculous moment came of, 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 of wisdom, which was still flawed, of our founding, which tried an experiment about how people can govern themselves. And even from the beginning, it, it, was, it made mistakes because of how it characterized certain people by the color of their skin. So I, it, they're the ones trying to rewrite history and put it in the confines of the small stories they want to tell, as opposed to telling the whole story and preparing kids to think critically about it and then decipher words like good, truth, wisdom, courage, beauty, the types of words that almost feel antithetical to the modern classroom that we should be ask, having our kids grapple with. 
Yeah. It's sort of like there are certain papers that when I open them, I'm like, oh my goodness, if this is the only thing that you read, you would be so depressed. Everything in here is terrible. Not that there are not bad things in the world. We know because we cover it every day. But if you have no hope and no uplifting message anywhere or looking at people who are doing things the right way or who have overcome um, insurmountable odds or righted wrongs, um, there's just no joy in life almost (laughs) if you're just being beaten all the time with everything that is bad, bad, bad. um, When we know the world is a good mixture of good and evil. And um, the more we know about both of them and understand how they interact and what we can all be doing um, to contribute to the good. Um, I think that's, that's something that our, our kiddos need. I mean, they're in thousands of hours sure. of schooling before they ever get to high school and then come out. Um, so best advice for parents. Cause I love that the book does include okay, here's how we tackle the problem because there are those who will say, we both got to work. We can't do homeschool or I can't afford a private school. So what encouragement advice do you have for parents in this new book, Battle for the American Mind? A lot of advice, a lot of encouragement, but I think after you read the first seven, seven or eight chapters, you will be flabbergasted, depressed, angry, and uh, flummoxed by the extent to which underneath the surface, the system you thought you knew was not what you knew. And I thought I got a regular old American, you know, high school education in the nineties and I got a progressive education and most people did too. And I didn't even know it because I didn't know what I was missing. So it, it, it is sent, understand the depth of the problem is, is first and foremost, which I then think washes away. And I don't say this, I don't say this judgmentally, the excuses that we make, um, the, the lack of a recognition that there are sacrifices that we have to make in order to provide for the most precious resource we have. Think about how much time we spend finding the job we want or the vacation we're going to take or the car that we like or the neighborhood that we move into. If we took that kind of intentionality toward the education of our kids, we would all make very different choices about the places we live and the things that we prioritize. And with, with faith being the first most important thing and family being the second, I would argue where you send your kids to school for 16,000 hours, we call it the Mm -hmm. 16,000 hour war of how much time you're in class between K through 12, that's third. And we almost take it for granted and say, well, we live in this zip code and there's a school over there and I know the principal and they seem okay. And we'll deprogram if we have to deprogram. (laughs) Who who wants to counter-program or deprogram? For seven or eight hours of what they've done all day. And the progressives wrote about that very openly a hundred years ago. What can the, the Christians or religious folk do with one hour on Sunday that we can't undo with 40 hours during the week. Mm -hmm. And, and they understood the power of, 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 of training and imprinting on the heart. So I'm going to challenge the assumption that because two parents work, you couldn't make it happen, or you can't find a way. A lot of classical Christian schools are far more affordable than elite schools or other schools. Mm -hmm. We're making the argument for uh, educational tax credits so that dollars do follow parents and they have the ability to choose these types of schools. Uh, But you'd be surprised by, I think COVID-19 woke parents up to what options are there and I've had to make some serious decisions in my own life about finding ways to get all seven of my kids into the right kind of schools, which is required changes in, in geography and, and financial. Th- I mean, I've got, you and I are blessed financially because of the job that we do in a lot of ways that other people are not. And I recognize that, but I don't think anyone watching should make the assumption. Well, I moved to a good neighborhood and I pay my property taxes. And therefore, as a result, I'm good. Uh, because the reality is we're not. And so if, but if it's required, 
to watchdog your local public school because that's where you're going, then you better be a bulldog um, with the teachers and with the curriculum, with what you're pulling your kids in and out of. But, you know, here in the state of New Jersey, there's, you know, transgender education is now starting in first and second grade, gender fluidity and identity. And I haven't met a first grader yet that's ready to grapple with that. Yet that's what they're going to be confronted with. And uh, I, I think faced with that, it's time for parents and grandparents to, to, to step up even more. Yeah, I would say during COVID, I've had so many of my mom friends say, I'm going to figure out this homeschooling thing. I'm going to try to push for, you know, whatever it takes flexibility wise for myself, for my husband to work around our jobs and be able to do this. As you say, great grandparents involved. Some folks I know have said, I can't do this all on my own, but I'm going to get become part of a group, a community of yes. co-op where the kids all go to one house and have a fantastic math tutor, or, you know, these parents handle this and that, you know, they were kind of the division of labor and that there are so many good materials out there that do focus on, um, as you said, the classical education, meaning like you're learning about everything. Um, there are a lot of good resources out there. So don't feel overwhelmed if you think you can't tackle this. Yes. Um, others have fought and fought and fought to get their kids into good um, Christian schools and Catholic schools and places where they feel like their values are going to align with what they want to teach the kids at home. Um, and so, like you said, there are sacrifices involved, but I think that you're right. Once people know, and you think about how much love you, you love your kid, you would jump in front of a train for them. If Absolutely. you would do that, what sacrifice would you not make? Yeah. What, what would you not do? And, and so basically your, your concept is in the new book, battle for the American mind, you can go after the school board and get super involved, but that's going to be sort of a 24 yeah, seven job. I mean, and you're recommending parents. That is the absolute last resort. If you the, have to, the mother of mothers, Rachel Campos, Tuffy, my co-host, <laughs> you know, often says, well, how do I, where do you find the time to continually protest a system that you're entrusting your kids to? That's true all day. Do you, why do you want to do that? And I, and I know I, 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 to, I absolutely salute, um, the courageous efforts of people going to school boards that we've covered. It's inspiring and it's amazing. But my mom and infuriating. did the same, and infuriating, but my mom, <laughs> they did turn the people's mics they, off and everything else. Oh yeah. It's worse today. It's all worse than amplified. My mom did the same thing in the eighties and nineties. She went up to the school board and, and protested a new values free curriculum they had and a sex ed curriculum that was quite mild compared to anything they have today. Mm-hmm. And thankfully she watched it and she pulled me out of certain things and we did other things on those days. And but guess what happened at Forest Lake Elementary School? Nothing changed. But what happened to Forest Lake High School? Nothing changed. The educational industrial complex keeps grinding forward and getting all the more radical. So I salute those parents at school board meetings. But the analogy I've used, it's, it's, like, um, it's like charging a fortified machine gun nest uh, with Nerf guns. And we're, we're going to salute your efforts, but we're going to bury you all because the, the system is too big for you at that moment to change. So we're saying first, make a change for your kids, whatever that looks like. And it is kind of like energy. You could go for an all of the above strategy, whatever works for your life. And we're going to equip you in the book with the options and then be part of making the case for the fact that education should be issue number one for every Christian, conservative, patriotic voter in this country. We've ceded that ground to the left for far too long. We fought wars overseas and fought to keep our free markets. And all the while, underneath it all, the left is focused on culture and classroom. And here we are totally surrounded. So it has to be a personal choice, but also a political reorientation that this, if we don't get this subject right, we're going to pump out 
leftist activists in the next 30 or 40 years that if you don't like what you're seeing right now on your screens, imagine what that looks like. I mean, it brings to mind the, the Abraham Lincoln quote, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. And if you think about that for just a little bit, considering what we're teaching kids, that's a pretty scary prospect. Well, like you said, you want kids to learn about everything. And I think that's what we want is for our kids to have the ability to think for themselves, to know the differing philosophies and histories and and to learn from all of those things. Um, You're not saying that, you know, uh, public schools have to take back the Bible and the pledge and all those things. Well, I'd um, love it if they would. Well, I'd be all you, for it if you they know would, us, but they I, won't. Yes. We know we can't imagine our lifetime. And there are those who say, listen, separation of church and state. And if you want to have religious instruction, it can't be one religion. And there are schools that do offer religion classes and Bible classes and, you know, classes that are about different religions so that kids can experience those. And I think it's good to know about all those things too. But you're saying it's going beyond that. It's a radical departure from education as we now know it. And you give parents a lot to think about in yeah. the new book, Battle for the American Mind by Pete Hegseth, uprooting century, a century of miseducation. Um, Pete, before I let you go, not that you have any free time, what do you do for fun? <laughs> what do you do for fun? I mean, there's not Take much a nap. fun in your space. You're, you know <laughs> no. what? You know what? That if I could exactly find it time. Right. How sad the, are we? The, the, the power of a nap in the middle of the day when you don't have to set your alarm is about the most beautiful thing you can, Mm -hmm. you know, for you, how late you are up and us for how early we're up. Yep. That is gold. I mean, (laughs) listen, what do I love doing? I love hanging out with the kids and I watch sports and love to cook some food on the grill. That's about about what it comes down to. That sounds like a good weekend right there. Yeah. That's all right. Um, Congrats on the new book. And I have no doubt that um, parents around the country um, and really around the world, because these are educations that go beyond our boundaries too. um, They're going to want to dig in and see exactly what they can do best for their children um, based on the fact, as we said, parents want all of the best for their kids. So an interesting read, uh, a lot of background, but a lot of helpful information moving forward too. Pete Hengseth, thank you so much for joining us awesome. on Living the Brain. It's great to be living the brain. I appreciate it. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.